This is Read, Watch, Play. I'm Cleo. I'm Justin. I'm James. And today we're going to be talking about our theme of Raygun Gothic and the actually four titles this time that we've discussed in our previous episodes. Which um, we started with the short story Gernsback Continuum by William Gibson, and we also talked about Radiance by Catherine Valenti. And then for our watch episode, we talked about Zathura, and then for our most recent play episode, we talked about Fallout 4. And all these titles kind of fall under this term, Raygun Gothic, which was coined originally by William Gibson in the short story we discussed. And kind of, basically, um, it means like that kind of aesthetic of the way the future was thought the way the way people thought the future was going to look starting in maybe like the 30s going up through like the 50s so the future that never was in other in other words i think that was also a quote from gibson yeah 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 it was it was neat we we've talked about this a few times in previous episodes but just the fact that uh one of the things that's interesting about this particular topic is all of our topics up until now have been much more much more thematic so it's kind of cool to be doing something that's a bit more just aesthetic and different takes on this same look and the different things that this look has inspired people to do yeah so like if you think about like the jetsons that's the one thing i always go to is like when people want like one title that's going to kind of clarify what it means the jetsons like the idea of like flying cars and everything looking kind of like what is like streamlined and like art deco-y yeah yeah and like very just very chrome Mm -hmm. everything chrome um you got a lot i feel like flash gordon is one that i jump to a lot as well kind of the rocketeer flash Oh. <laughs> Copyright strike. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. It was interesting. If you, I mean, if you just do a Google search on Raygun Gothic, not a whole lot's going to come up, honestly. Nope. Uh, I think I first saw this term on uh, that website, Television Tropes and Idioms, because mm-hmm. I was looking up Fallout stuff and that it was included under that. Um, but I just loved the idea that there was a word or not a word. There were two words to describe this kind of look and feel mm-hmm. that a lot of the things that I already loved kind of fall under. Um, and, and what, I, a, what a great phrase also just like quick aside. I feel like Ray gun Gothic. What a, what a really good term. Yeah. yeah. I wish that were just like a genre in and of itself and like Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Like, in the sci-fi section, it's like, here are all our Raygun Gothic titles. I would love to narrow that down because, man, do I want to read more. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we definitely, like, with our read episode, I mean, Radiance was a big, Radiance was a huge hit, I think, with all of us. Oh, yeah. Um, and I imagine with our millions of listeners. <laughs> and, I mean, William Gibson is obviously, like, everyone pretty much loves him for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gibson's great. And... Uh, I mean, that when we started with the story, that was, you know, where that term came from originally. And even though the story in and of itself didn't explore it super in depth, which is, you know, funny considering it's the thing that where the term was yeah, born exactly. from. But um, with Radiance, I mean, we're talking about a story that's set in a universe where all the, you know, the planets in our solar system are, inhabit- are inhabited, which obviously, like, physically impossible. But this yeah. is going off that kind of classic sci-fi universe where you know i think was it i mean so many authors wrote about because they thought venus was going to be like lush with jungles and mm-hmm. stuff right like people yeah well, like the like ethan carter 
think so. Is is the name? Uh, I John, I always wait. John John Carter. Carter. John Carter. Yeah, the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs yeah. kind yeah, of. Yeah, the Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, just kind of the the various Martians and the, yeah, Ethan yeah. Carter's different. Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting to talk about because like <laughs> these are kind of some strange titles to pull all together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. we have Zathura, which is you know kind of a kids movie, which was um kind of like the spiritual successor to Jumanji, right? Right. And which I believe they are remaking. Really? It is official. Yeah. Wow, I did not hear that. I think this yeah. was between our previous recording and oh, now they've, the announcement has been made. Well, because oh. it had been in the works for a little while, um, and they finally found a director and then decided they wanted to release it this Christmas. Oh. All good signs. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. <laughs> okay. I'm, I am definitely excited and not at all worried or angry. I'm going to take the time to emotionally process this later and pretend like I didn't hear this just now. <laughs> I do. I, I will say I do think they've moved it. In the words of Travis from uh, Fallout 4, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, but, yeah, speaking so, of which. Speaking of which. Our, our fourth, fourth title. Yeah, so Fallout 4 is, I mean, it came out, well, God, when did it come out at this point? It's been several months. Yeah, um, November, November of, early of last November. Year. Yeah. yeah. And um I mean, I feel like it's been doing pretty I mean, I, people I've talked to, some people stopped playing it, but generally I feel like people have generally liked it a lot. Yeah. Um and it definitely falls into the very gun gothic theme because in an interesting way because it's post-apocalyptic. So the world, the pre-world pre-war world, there we go, is kind of that Raygun gothic, the classic Raygun gothic look. Mm-hmm. Right, where because like the shit hasn't hit the fan yet. I mean, the world hasn't been exploded yet. Yeah, and one, I think one of the things that is really easy to forget is that Fallout, prior to the war that creates the wasteland that we all know and love from the Fallout games, is 2077. Yeah, it's not like 1977. It's not 1956. It, yeah, because it, it looks very like 30s, 50s, which I think is great, and it really ties into that kind of image of the future from that time, and that it's all you know, kind of that quote-unquote, like, nuclear family thing has never really changed. It's just now we have, like, spherical, scary octopus robot butlers. Yep. But I love Cod. I don't, I don't know about scary. He is, He's it, glorious. This is something you could buy at a Sears that has a flamethrower and a buzzsaw. Yeah. That's fucking badass. <laughs> and he can feed and change your diaper, or your, not your diaper, your baby's diaper. Or your diaper. Or your diaper, depending on where you are in life. I mean, hopefully he doesn't malfunction and reach out to change the baby's diaper and turn on the flamethrower, but... <laughs> yeah. These things happen. It's in the name of progress and science. <laughs> like Clark, crossover with Portal now for his science. Um, but but yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned this like way back when in our uh, Radiance episode or Radiance Gernsback episode. But um, I was really excited to read Radiance um, as the same part as part of our kind of series that where we also covered Fallout. Because in Fallout, I mean, a major part, depending on how you play, right? Like, you could totally skip over a lot of this. But I am a little bit OCD about reading a lot of the stuff that comes up on the terminals, mm-hmm. right? And, like, all the logs people leave behind. And so much of, like, the story you get from exploring the environment and kind of reading these logs that people and the emails people have left behind from, like, all the way back before the war through, you know, the 200 years of post-apocalyptic, you know, wasteland history. Yeah. And you're kind of going through people's personal correspondences and whatnot. And the way that radiance felt to me was pretty similar. I mean, cause you're in radiance, you're looking through transcripts of interviews and your descriptions of film clips and 
like basically a collection that looks like it was pulled out of an archive. And those two things went really well together in my head. Right. They're both just sort of very voyeuristic ways yeah. of like looking at, you know, like a looking glass into these Raygun Gothic worlds. Yeah. And I like, I don't know, I thought those were two, I mean, obviously there are people who play Fallout and don't want to have to like read, it's like kind of like reading the Codex and Mass Effect, right? Yeah. Where you don't want to like necessarily spend all that time going through every single like little tidbit of lore. Nope. But if you are someone who likes to like, you know, read the things that seem important. And also, I mean, the, the other thing was, you know, how in Fallout 4 you have the whole Silver Shroud storyline. Right. Which is like, he's a radio hero or like you know like a comic book hero and then also a radio show character uh-huh. that's been going on it's been going on forever and they still like air the episodes in good neighbor right there's a guy who runs like the radio station where they do like silver shroud episodes and in radiance they have that kind of similar they have another radio show called like how many miles to babylon mm-hmm. yeah. and those two things seem very similar to me like these kind of old-timey radio shows um, with all that kind of kind of soap opera e drama, yeah, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think that that's actually I think that's right in line with one of the things that I liked most about this was just the parallels that came up that aren't by definition part of the the Raygun Gothic umbrella. You know, it officially it's you know you have things like the Chrome and like like the sleek spaceships and things like that or the kind of like the robot butler sort of things, all of all of that kind of stuff. But the fact that so much of that aesthetic ended up being tied to the ways that people told science fiction stories in the times when these were when these were coming out, things like you have these radio shows like How Many Miles to Babylon and The Silver Shroud and you have like comics in Fallout and you have just films getting made in Radiance and things like that. And Zathura is all about just like a, a board game and just it, that in what feels like a very just like, hey, kids, go to space. You know, it kind of like yeah. it, it feels like it like it's like half newsreel, you know, and that it's it all seems as much about the the delivery method or the medium and kind of honoring that as well as this aesthetic that came with it in in Gernsbeck. It's a little bit different in that it's the protagonist in Gernsbeck is going to photograph things that have this aesthetic, but they're things by and large, it's bus stations, right? You know, these things that are kind of of a previous time, you know, that idea of the bus being the way that you would travel cross country by the time Gibson is writing is something that is certainly not gone by any stretch of the imagination, but it's dying out relative to planes. Oh yeah. But he's going, he's photographing these bus stations that were built to look very futuristic and, that even though we're sitting here reading a book or playing, you know, playing a very new video game, that they really do a good job of incorporating those kinds of media that you'd find it with. I, I like that a lot. So one thought I had while um, actually it occurred to me while playing Fallout 4, I was reminded of um, in Gernsback Continuum. It's kind of we talked about this in that episode, but how usually people kind of idealize the thought of the you know the future that never was, um, and in that story, the protagonist kind of very much points out that this um, that idea of the future, that shiny future that so many people had been looking forward to, was very similar to the propaganda for like the Hitler Youth, for mm. instance, right? Yeah. And it was like very Nordic, like it's like beautiful blonde people 
and they're like perfect families in this perfect city that has like no diversity or like anything right mm-hmm. yeah um and that kind of like horrifying realization that like yeah that's probably the reality that would have come with this future potentially if it had been like reached by certain people right so so you think we would live in a reagan gothic world if hitler had won world war ii basically it might look a little bit more like it i mean i'm just saying i'm saying like it might look yeah more that that way that's right potentially i mean who knows right um um, but that was what he that character was basically kind of suggesting yeah alleging yeah yeah, it's it's um and then and so and we usually think about this idea of like the reagan gothic future as that idealistic thing and then we have fallout 4 right where that future did come and was like literally blown away by an atom bomb. And yeah. so real, real bad. Real bad. And which again is kind of taking the idea of like, okay, here's this ideal. But then along with that ideal world came like nuclear annihilation. Yeah. So it's kind of, I, I like the idea of this, like this perf the idea of perfection paired with like kind of total annihilation or like something really dark. Um, because, again, it's, it's it's easy and it's fun to do that with things related to the 50s also, right? Because you have the idea of, like, the Stepford Wives and that whole, like, Pleasantville scenario where everything's really perfect and mm-hmm. pretty. Yeah, I think that there really is that a certain amount of kind of strange nostalgia. I won't say strange nostalgia, but of, like, this nostalgia for a 50s that never were. You know, not even just saying, you know, for a future that never was, but uh, 50s and I'd say even sometimes, like, 20s and 30s that – weren't really like that there was i mean yes those things were there you know like greece sure is like basically but also you know horrible oppression (laughs) yeah exactly you know it not great race relations overall yeah like not a not a great time to not be a white dude yeah pretty much yeah you know and things like that was yeah like this this idealized version that we have that didn't that wasn't necessarily real it's as kind of awkwardly idealized as as those versions of what the future might be. And I think that's another thing that kind of ties all of our titles together, right? Is that, that another thing that has this look that's connected to Reagan Gothic is that kind of like propaganda look, right? Where like Zathura, the cover of the board game even, looks like something that you would like, a poster that would be printed so you can put it in your like child's bedroom and say like, look, you do want to become an astronaut. Isn't America great? We're all going to become astronauts. Yeah. And then, and you know... I mean, think about, and, and, and we think about it in, like, reality, like, with World War Two and all, like, the propaganda films that came out then to say, like, look how great it would be to join the army and support your country. And you look at movies like, you know, like the Abbott and Costello film, Buck Privates, where there's just, like, there's no actual, like, mention of the real war, really. It's all just, like, the fun times that go into, like, training to be in the military. And, like, the Andrews sisters are there. And, I mean, it's something that you also see in, like, the Bioshock games, oh, right? Sure. Bioshock's great with that. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, with Fallout, I mean, if you look at the art book for Fallout 4, so much of that space is taken up by, like, posters for products, posters for, like, the like the vault dwellers, or the vault situation is all propaganda. Like, the posters oh, are always like, oh, oh, like, remember to, I was going to say obey your air raid warden, um, to obey your uh, overseer, and stuff like that. And that's, like, that feel... Of having of the feeling that comes from like having that being surrounded by that stuff is very specific. Yeah, um, and I think that's part of the one of the things that's most effective about the Ray Gun Gothic titles that do choose to kind of use that 
that kind of it's the reminder of that oppression a little bit like yeah oh so like yeah it looks all perfect and shiny but everyone's being controlled mm-hmm. or yeah. they're trying to control you a lot like that's the price you pay for that and i think that's something we're also seeing right now <laughs> to go back to another thing we discussed and some of the YA dystopia things we're looking at right mm. yeah like i feel like it's, it's evolving in different ways like even hunger games i think takes from that a little bit oh sure because Hunger Games definitely has a tiny, tiny bit of that Ray Gun gothic like look with when you come to like the capital. Yeah, certainly to an extent. Yeah, because like with, that. with the train and stuff, the train looks like something that could have. I mean, like if you look at the if you look at the movies, obviously yeah, we discuss the, the books. Yeah, but, um, sure. I don't know. I, I wonder. I it's a, it's a, it's something that I really want to kind of come back in a big way because I feel like a lot of books, movies, what have you, can be kind of categorizes ray gun gothic in a very very broad sense but i really like the specific feeling of like radiance where it's like very much specifically set in that universe but told from like a modern point of view like we have a lot of titles that are just old they're they're ray gun gothic specifically because they're kind of older and that was like they were still in that time when they thought the future was going to look like that a little bit they were only on like the tail end of it yeah i mean a lot of the best examples of that again like going back to things like um flash gordon it it literally is just from from the time period mm-hmm. and yeah it's i i completely agree specifically with bringing up radiance i you mentioned it earlier but i think that you're totally right that that was sort of the kind of the hit of this one for for us at least you know it, everything was was good but radiance was the one that really like, took me by surprise but just how cool it was to have something like that and something that doesn't necessarily explain itself to you right away. And you kind of went and you figured out what are things that you could take for granted based on your understanding of this aesthetic and what you think this world is like because of your familiarity with that kind of vision of the future and where you needed to rethink something or relearn something or shift your your point of view. But yeah, no, I agree. That, that very modern looking back, knowing the style that they're working in, yeah, it was really cool. I think it's especially interesting to kind of explore that in a video game because when you think about like other sci-fi titles we have, right? Like the other big one that comes to mind obviously is Mass Effect because I'm a huge, most of us I think we're huge Bioware. I think all of us here are huge Bioware fans, I'd say. Sure. Um, Mass Effect was, I think definitely trying to be a more realistic future, you know, realistic future compared to like you could from standing here, you could say, yeah, like the future might look like that. Um, Whereas like you wouldn't like look to the, the 2077 shown in Fallout 4 and say, like, oh, our future's going to look like that because it would be, like, a few steps yeah, backwards. Like, right. Doesn't Mass Effect fall chronologically? Wouldn't it be before the Fallout that you play in? I think so. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Mass Effect was, like, the 2500s. No, because I thought no, that earlier it was... than that. It's the 2200s. I think it's... So, or to 2300? Yeah, it's relatively early because the big thing is, like, as soon as we, like, as soon as humanity reaches something like uh, wherever the mass relay is, everything, like, shoots like, forward. Because yeah. we get, it's just one of those weird things that I really like. It's like, technically, if you go by the dates provided in the game, Fallout's 3 and 4 are set after Mass Effect or, like, if they were in the same universe. Mm-hmm. But, right. Fun fact. <laughs> just two very different, like, just two very, like, crazy different version or visions of the future right yeah absolutely and i have to wonder if like you know 50 years from now people are going to be talking about our visions of the future as a thematic possibility because it's so hilarious to think of the you know present being anything like it is today right yeah yeah it was interesting because like 
in Fallout 4, um, and this is, I'm going to, just in case you didn't listen to the entire episode, I'm going to, a little bit of a spoiler alert here for Fallout 4, but hardly. When the when you look at, like, the stuff from the Institute and inside the Institute itself, the first thought I had when I walked in there was, uh, oh, this is Mass Effect 2, because it looked like Cerberus, like the Cerberus mm, base. Like, yeah. it was very, the music was very similar. Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting to have that idea of, like, okay, well, here's one future, and this future kind of aligns much more closely to the future we're seeing depicted in video games more often. Um, and then you go back to the outside world, and you're back to, like, this post-apocalyptic Raygun Gothic world. And I liked seeing those two different ideas of the future kind of juxtaposed against each other. Um, because it felt like, I mean, before, we never, we'd only ever seen post-apocalyptic wasteland fallout. Like, that was all we knew to exist, really. Right. Yeah. And then you have this kind of shinier, clean thing. Yeah, it's, I think, and even what's kind of doubly interesting about that is that you get that sense of, like, when you were referencing something like the Jetsons, that was really, it of the things that we read, really one of the the most, the most immediately tied to that, but also least in a certain way like certainly the Raygun gothic that was there it's always bright and shiny and clean and what ends up being so cool about fallout is that you see it when it's not bright and shiny and clean you see it when it's kind of been built up and torn down and like pieced back together and then when you're when you're in the institute you have that like much more shiny and clean it feels like something still in the jetsons like oh it this is where like the flying car would park etc it's it's a neat a neat bit of the two and so I have a question, I mean, I have a kind of, it's just, this is a vague, broad question, but I feel like it's like the main question that keeps popping up back in my mind after, you know, especially after reading Gurns, is it Gurns Beck or Gurns Beck? I feel like I've been saying both things. It's Gurns Beck, right? Gurns yeah, Beck. Yeah, um, Gurns Beck Continuum, and then also, just in general, what we've been talking about. Do you think that kind of overwhelming nostalgia is potentially dangerous? I mean, if you're taking it like on a lip, not just like, a, oh, this would make an interesting story, but if you were to actually feel like, wow, isn't this idea what the future should have been like, like so much better than what we are moving towards now? Do you think that's like a kind of a dangerous idea to cling on to? Like, I mean, the an idea to cling on to now. Yeah. So that like people now wish our our present was more Regan Gothic and less what it is. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything like in, really inherently dangerous about that. Because nostalgia in general, I mean, I feel like people fall people fall into two. I I have a hard time finding people who are kind of in the middle about this. I either know people who are very nostalgic in general, um, just like not even regards to like break on gothic, but like they enjoy the look and feel of the past more, whether it's a past they actually lived through or or a past that they just like. Yeah, Um, and then there are people who are like nostalgia is kind of pointless. It means you can't like get over the past. And it's like a character flaw. And I feel like I'm a very nostalgic person in general. So I love things. I think that's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to Ray Gun Gothic things is because it's I kind, kind of, of inherently nostalgic. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a universe now that's going to be I mean, it's obvious it's a future that already has not come to pass. So we know it won't unless people decide just to make everything look like that suddenly. Right. Um, and so it's kind of the perfect time capsule in a way. Right. Like anything you set in a universe that looks like that is going to feel nostalgic because you know it's not, it's not actually going to come to pass like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess if it gets intense enough, 
that it could it would you know be more or less be a delusion or an obsession i could definitely see that being i mean unhealthy as unhealthy as any other delusion or obsession but i think a certain you know wistfulness for the concept isn't isn't inherently that bad yeah i mean i'd say it at least let's say pulling from the text let's just from gernsbeck it seems like the the thing that's kind of tricky and that it, at least what i got out of it is that it's really hard to imagine the changes that are actually going to be the most important. No matter when you are in history, you are in the past for everyone coming ahead of you. And because of that, you're going to have notions that are ultimately going to be kind of backward. And that it's really hard to extrapolate forward in a direction that isn't ultimately just like an extension of whatever your current worldview is and again that's kind of what i what i take out of it like what when the character is yeah like going back and like you were discussing justin like going back and looking back and becomes whether he's genuinely traveling somewhere or is just delusional or hallucinating and you have this sense of he's going back and he's seeing these giant cities and planes that take days and weeks and months to cross the atlantic but they've got like three-story ballrooms in them that kind of danger of assuming that you're that close to right right now seems like that's the thing that that i pulled out of that right that you you have this tacit assumption that the core of the society that you live in is perfect it doesn't need to change anymore it doesn't need to improve progress except in these largely cosmetic ways so i think that at least for me that's what the uh that's that's what I got from Gernsbeck. So kind of applying that to that idea of is it dangerous to go back and be nostalgic for that? I would say, again, very much like Justin said, just in the way that any delusion is dangerous. If it becomes a delusion, it becomes dangerous. But also that sense that at some other time in history that society got it right. I wonder if that's more or less dangerous than thinking you're right right now. That's where that's where I land, where it comes to is it is it dangerous? Probably in the sense that any delusion is dangerous. But is it is it more or less dangerous to think, man, society at its core was right at this time? You might be right or wrong or broadly agreed with or disagreed with. But is it worse to think, yeah, we were better then? Or is it worse to think everything is perfect now? We just need bigger planes, bigger buildings, more chrome. Right. Cover everything up the flaws. Shiny and chrome. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think that's, in a lot of ways, that's kind of the key thing here, right? That... You have this shiny chrome finish that covers a kind of dilapidated inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole, the priority is the look of it rather than actually improving the mechanics of anything. Yeah, exactly. What's at, what's at its heart, which I think, you know, again, uh, applies to fallout, right? Like fallout is what happens when, like when the bombs come down, this is all the stuff that was inside all of that shiny chrome and steel. And then uh, same deal as you progress with the Institute quest line. We, we discussed it a bit before, but it seems very clean and pristine and nice. And then as you progress through it, you start thinking about why it is that way and how you can have such a nice, pristine place in the Commonwealth, in that kind of post-apocalyptic wasteland. So I think that, at least for me, that's kind of the core thing of that Raygun Gothic, is that dreaming of a place where you have this core that is maintained and just made prettier. And that core may or may not be kind of rotten. Yeah, it's interesting, especially with, like, when you're talking about the Institute, right, where basically it's been built on slave labor, 
whether or not, I mean, and I've seen people online talking about how, oh, and I think they're bringing a lot of their own, like, personal beliefs from the outs, from the real world into this game, where they're like, oh, the synths, they're not, they can't be real people because they're robots, and that's just, like, the firm belief they have about AI in general is that they're always going to be robots, and they're not inanimate, I mean, um, but, like, soulless machines, pretty much, right? They can mimic humans, but that's, they're not really, they're just objects, really. Yeah. And so they don't feel bad about that at all. Um, they don't feel like the Institute's really doing something wrong because they're, these synths aren't humans when it comes down to it. Um, given, I don't think that's most people who play this game. That's just kind of like a small group. Sure. But, because, I mean, I don't understand how anyone can go around with Nick for long enough and not feel <laughs> like he's real. But, um, yeah, so you have the Institute, which is, like, this shiny, beautiful, clean place, but it's, like, you know, come at a pretty horrible cost if you do think of the synths as being, you know, real or potentially real people. I guess depending on, like, because there's, like, different generations of synths, right? Like, Gen 1s are, like, very skeletal-looking, and they yeah. just kind of serve one function. Uh, and then, which is apparently to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the outside world, which honestly feels, which is, you know, Raygun Gothic after it's been destroyed. And it feels much more alive, even though, you know, the landscape looks dead in a lot of ways. Like, the people there, I find, are much more interesting. The storylines you find out there are much more interesting, even though, like, you know, the landscape is, like, horrifically irradiated. It's more beautiful than, like, the sterileness of Inside the Institute. And I thought that was... That felt significant to me, because even though the Institute does look like it could be safer, and everyone who lives there says, like, oh, my God, like, I don't understand how anyone could live in the wasteland, those poor people, like, that's no way of life at all. We're going to have to, like, do... It's a little bit of the white man's burden thing also. Oh, it totally is. Because they're saying, like, okay, well, they obviously, they don't know what's good for them anymore, so we're going to, like, take over. Yeah, we're going to. And we're going to, like, you know, guide them to a better future. And you have an option at the end of the game to kind of, like, form your speech that's going to be going out to the to um, the Commonwealth about what the Institute's going to do for them in the future and, like... You can say things that are more, like, threatening and intimidating, or you can be, like, more propaganda-y about, like, oh, we're going to protect you and lead you to a better, safer place. And the fact that, I mean, in my core, in my gut, I felt like, okay, siding with the Institute is the wrong thing to do. That's, like, the bad thing to do. Which is, of course, why James did it. <laughs> James did it for the trophies. <laughs> but, Someone had to find out what happened there. Yeah. And then the other and then the other people he sided with were the Brotherhood, though, which is, like... <laughs> We had all agreed that neither of you wanted to see the the Institute or the Brotherhood ending, so someone had to do it. We got a show yeah. to do. And so, yeah, I did. Journalism. <laughs> Investigative journalism. I'm a journalist now. And so, but yeah, it's like the Institute is like crooked and corrupt, even though it might look very like, I don't even want to say pretty because it looks kind of like doctor's office yeah. But in like the wasteland. Too pretty, like artificially arti- pretty. Yeah. Like, sterile to the point of creepiness. Yeah. And then the outside world, which they're all, like, horrified of because, you know, everything looks dead, is really much more beautiful. And the people are just, like, better in general. And life, I don't know. If I had to choose in real life, I had to choose between the Institute and the Wasteland, I'd choose the Wasteland. Every damn day. So suck that MIT. (laughs) Future MIT. (laughs) So how does everyone think that Radiance plays into this? I mean, we've... We kind of gotten a bit into what it seems like kind of this Raygun Gothic sort of gets at, or at least now looking back on it. But I feel like Radiance is one of the ones that doesn't 
seem to deal with that as much, at least at least on the surface. I think it does stick with a lot of the Reagan Gothic themes that we've discussed, certainly the way of presenting and that kind of different take on like a, a past future or even say like a future past. But it doesn't seem to necessarily be as concerned with that sense of forewarning. Yeah. Um, I mean, even something like, say, Zathura deals with a little bit in that it's it's this innocent appearing game, but on the inside, it's kind of scary. And ultimately, it's it is it is helpful um, to the the relationships of the characters. But it seems like for for the Zathura and for Radiance, it's almost more of a a setting than a moral. Yeah. Whereas I think it's really key to the the moral structure of Gernsbeck and Fallout. How do you think it? plays it plays into that it, whether it is just it's you don't feel that it's being used to make a moral point there or what it is for a setting i mean we've already discussed the fact that it is zathura is effectively jumanji just with a a Reagan gothic skin yeah yeah but i don't think that there's any anything particularly like foreboding or thematic that's coming across in zathura at least for me hmm. um but it like it seems a lot to me like more or less an excuse for the writer of the the children's book and then the writers of the the movie and the director and everybody to sort of have fun with the toy box that is Raygun Gothic design, hmm. right? Like the the robot toy in the beginning that gets turned into a giant robot, the the ships on the Zathura board, the, the aliens that show up, like every single thing that happens in. Zathura is like hand picked out of the set of things that belong to this, but not with, not with what feels like a clear message. Yeah, there's no cautionary tale about right. like don't wish for this future because this is the truth behind it. Yeah, it's just like yeah, this is, this is what it means to be in this, in this sci-fi universe, and I guess that's maybe not that awesome, but it was kind of cool, right? And then yeah. it ends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then with like radiance again, I don't I don't see a cautionary tale there really. It's kind of more of a backdrop that kind of makes the story more interesting. And I don't actually I, maybe okay. Cautionary tale makes it sound like like a shitty fairy tale. I mean, I like fairy <laughs> yeah. tales, but like like yeah, a very sure. basic kind of like oh, don't play by the water, kids, because like the kelpie is gonna drag you in and drown you. Yeah, um, you know, don't this... don't swim with a scorpion on your back. Yeah. A, yeah. a story that was written around a a, a moral. Yeah. yeah, it feels it feels less like that. I agree. But I would say there is that there is this feeling in um, in Radiance because they're talking about they talk about a little bit the um, when they are first colonizing all the planets and the solar system and like these ideas that they had for what it was going to be like. And then you have Pluto, which is completely disconnected from the rest of the solar system for a long time, for a lot mm -hmm. of the time, because it's just the way that the orbits work, right? Yeah, it goes out of, it's that it goes out of range of the signal from, from Earth. Yeah. yeah. And so they, there is this idea of like, oh, they market, they present these planets as being like kind of glamour, glamorous or like, you know, adventurous or whatnot. But really like, it's just, I mean, they're kind of other versions of Earth and sometimes they have, you know, some of Earth's shittier aspects also. It's not this paradise away from Earth. It's, like, some of them, because it's, like, glamorous to make movies on the moon, right, and stuff. And yeah, that's, it's, the moon has very much become kind of the new film hub of the solar system. But then there are, like, is it Neptune? Where is it where 
in the like the you know the film noir version of Saturday, I think or no Uranus. I can't remember. I don't remember either. Saturn feels right. I thought it was but Neptune. So does Neptune. I think it's Neptune. So there is the kind of that idea of like, okay, well here, th- there was this shiny future, and then that future got realized, and it was still just as kind of like, it's still gritty, and they're still like the unappealing. I mean, humans are still humans. They're anywhere they settle, they're gonna bring their humanity with them, along yeah. with like their vices. Mm-hmm. Um. And I did like I did like that. I mean, I did. There was a whole. There was again. I'm a big film noir fan, and there was definitely a noirish feel to the entirety of the book. Really, even like there were chapters that were very specifically, like there was the script that was supposed to be Severin's, the script about Severin, yeah, sure, and what happened to her, and like, and her adopted son and whatnot, but or not not really adopted son, but like basically, yeah, sure, and. The whole idea of, and I think film noir and Ray Gun Gothic, and you get a little bit of that with like Nick Valentine and Fallout Four, right? Sure. Um, they go together very well because you it's, again, film noir is about exploring kind of. You can have like you explore like existential crises that people are having, and it's a genre that was developed pretty much. I would say I would say after World War Two mainly, or maybe after it, it came into its own after World War Two. Yeah, I mean that makes. A lot of sense, even if you just look at, like, we were talking about whether or not having these, like, delusions of, of this ideal future are, are um, negative or not. But if you if you look at that wistfulness that we were talking about then at the same time, that would have been at its height then, right? Because we just finished World War II, we just dealt with all this devastation, and what people would want is to move forward while, like, going back to the glory days, right? And so, like... People post World War Two are going to be thinking that the 30s, like you know, or like this, everything about the 30s was so great. Minus well, you know, that whole Great the, Depression. The, the 30s were largely the Depression, but yeah. But they <laughs> besides weren't, the Depression, but they weren't World War Two. The people who had it good during the 30s, though, had it very good during the 30s. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I was I've been reading Atonement recently, and I was just thinking about like the the time between the World Wars. I mean. At least America had its own kind of separate thing, but it is kind of considered, and for, for some people, it was definitely a golden age. Sure. Right. And that's the other thing about Ray Gun Gothic, right? It kind of depicts everyone as being happy. It's like there are no slums. Everyone's in this, like, suburban paradise, right? right. That's just because um, you don't see the undersea. Yeah, because they don't yeah. want to they're, – they're either pretending it doesn't exist or, right. you know, they're, they're hiding it. Or in their minds, it, it does not exist, depending on, like, who's depicting it. Um, and Radiance depicts that. Like the underside, the dark underbelly of mm-hmm. the Raygun Gothic paradise. Sure, I think it's part of what makes it so interesting that of all people to coin this term, it's Gibson, who is famous for writing stories set in literally the opposite. I mean, it all of Neuromancer, the whole Bridge trilogy. I I, I won't even just say Neuromancer, the Sprawl trilogy, the Bridge trilogy. These are sets of books literally named after the slums in which they're set. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I think it makes perfect sense, going from that then, that Gibson would write a short story about someone being just horrified at the right, prospect that's the thing. It's of not this just pristine that, city. Yeah, it's not that this – it's not that it exists or that it's interesting or that it's what they want. It's like the guy, like, basically goes insane yeah, thinking that this, like, is our future, our potential future, or maybe our present and, right? And it's like – and, like, it's so undesirable it drives him insane. Yeah, and even to the – I would say even beyond that, it seems like he's just repulsed by the fact that 
God, someone wanted this at some point. Yeah. Even if it's beyond just like, oh, this might happen or et cetera, et cetera. It's just, oh, who would ever have wished for this? How could we have done that? I, I, that's one of the big things that I've kept coming back to. And we, we didn't talk very much about Gernsbeck in our, in our read episode. I think that we were all just so eager to jump right into Radiance. And I think that that was the right thing to do. But the more I think about it, the more I'm super glad that we read Gernsbeck just so it could come up more here. Because really, it, I feel like there's a lot that you can pull out of that in the context of all these other works that you can't really get just by itself. And I think it, it adds a lot to going through things like Radiance and Zathura and Fallout. So I'm really glad that we've had this this opportunity to circle back to it and really kind of bring it back into the conversation since it was something that wasn't really going to work quite as well for an episode all to itself. Yeah. So was I right earlier in saying that it seems like Radiance was kind of the the big, at least, surprise from this? But even further to say, was it kind of a favorite all around? I, I certainly would say it was mine. I mean, of of what we what we do, yeah. I mean, of these three, Radiance is hand down oh, okay. the best part of it. I like Fallout. I mean, I really like Fallout. <laughs> I like but... I, I love them paired together. I love that you don't have to choose. You yeah. can you can do both. I mean, I just so I, Cleo gave a cop out answer. I I just I don't know. It's different. It's it's hard comparing books to games for me, right? Yeah, sure. yeah. No, I totally get that. I'm I'm like just going off net enjoyment as somebody who admittedly didn't get to finish Fallout. Um, Radiance just kind of came out of nowhere and blindsided me with this, like, really interesting, like, meta-narrative. Just, uh, it's so cool. I think... Radiance is so cool. I think the thing was, also, I'd read Catherine Valente before, and so I knew knew going into it, like, this is probably going to be, like, fucking amazing. Right. (laughs) And so... I wasn't as surprised by it, and you, like you, I don't. You two had never read anything by her before, right? I've never heard of her. Yeah, I hadn't heard of her at all. Yeah, until she's, you brought her up. she's great. I definitely recommend Deathless. Um, and so I wasn't. I don't know. I was. I didn't know what exactly to expect because Deathless was much. It was fantasy, mm-hmm. and this was sci-fi, and I don't know. She just. I don't. I love her, her writing because it's very poetic. She has a style that I've like haven't read in like anybody else's work. It's just very unique. Okay. And um, I like it when people are able to bring that kind of, like, poetry into a sci-fi story. Because, I mean, it is... Some people can fall into the trap of making it all about... A little too much about the tech. And a little bit too much about, like, this is the future. I mean, she made it feel very present. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, because it's arguably set in the... I mean, not not even arguably. It's explicitly set in the past. Yeah, in our... Pa- yeah, in, the, yeah. in, a, in yeah. an alternate past. Which is... Again, why I fall so well into the Raygun Gothic thing? Yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't get a lot into it during that episode, but the the actual timeline of Radiance is really kind of neat, just because it's it is set in the past, but in a totally fictional universe in which all of the planets are hospitable, and right. there's like this substance that can be used to help humans like grow bone, like it basically maintain human like bone strength in space effectively yeah it yeah not something we really got into but it you're totally right that she does a really good job of at at very few points is that what the story's about like it's about that very lightly or casually but it's never just like here is the science to how we are on these planets or these things it's like no yeah they're all just fine yep yeah we don't need just some alternate universe and yeah it's fine there are no long chunks of like expositional like garbage right. like about yeah. how we came to be here 
Yeah. Um, you just roll with it. No, like Council of Elrond chapters. I like to call those moments. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, and again, I was very excited to read Radiance along with Fallout because. With Radiance, it's, it is kind of like you picked up something out of an archive and so much of Fallout, if you are like a very thorough investigator of your environment, is picking up these records from this like, you know, mounds of garbage and finding bits of other people's lives in the ruins. And I mean, given that some of the people in this in, in Radiance, like, you know, some of them aren't around anymore and like some of them are when, by the time you're kind of like reading it. Or you're assumed to be reading. It's, it's weird. The whole time thing is weird. But um, yeah. yeah. But it is, again, that kind of feeling of, like, you're picking up this record of what happened to these people. And you're exploring it through just, like, reading these documents as told to you in that meta way. Which I really liked. Well, all right. With that, uh, that's been our Raygun Gothic series. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I'd say we certainly did. Yeah. Um. I think we got some really some really neat stuff with this. Uh, if you did like that, definitely tune in for our next series, which is going to be about time travel within a character's own life. For that, we've got replay for our read episode, which is going to be coming up two weeks from now. Then after that, we're going to have Looper for our watch episode. And for our play episode, we're going to be playing Life is Strange. And as usual, after that, we're going to do another theme episode just like this one, tying them all together. So... Look for those over the next couple months. And until then, thank you so much for listening. This is Read Watch Play. I'm Cleo. I'm, I'm James. Justin. Fuck. <laughs> Can we keep it? We went. We <laughs> always go this way. I know. Oh, God.